here and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right, yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! It is season eight. It is episode one, and we're back with the Ditch Diggers, Mer Lafferty and Matt Wallace. And we're coming to you live from the Betty White Memorial Welcome Center, and it's me and Matt together again. Hey, together Matt. Together again. It's I happening. Know. It's popping off. The I return. Know. Yeah. Big time. Big, big happy times. And it, it actually started off a little dour because Mer suggested we come to you live from the Betty White Memorial Welcome Center. And I was like, that seems really disrespectful. Betty White's not dead. And then Mer's like, Matt, Matt Bert, Betty White absolutely is dead. And then I remembered Betty White died and I got sad all over again. <laughs> so that was the tone right before we went online. Oh, there, look at me. Look at me in art form. Is everybody seeing that? Oh, damn it. No, that's not what I meant to do. See, that's what I'm saying. You blew the big reveal. I blew the big reveal. Did I? Uh, Numbers Ninja, yes. That's the answer I have for you. That's all. Please. Yes, thank you. Uh, Numbers Ninja texted me, and I thought, I will go check that out while Matt's talking, and then showed everybody the thing. I'm so good. Yay, Matt. People are excited about it, right? Yes, yes. It is It is um, awesome Matt art done by Numbers Ninja to match the Tiny Mer art. Um, anyway, we are the Ditch Diggers. We do a podcast that is dedicated to teaching people about the business of writing because in all the workshops that tell you how to perfectly create beginnings, middles, and ends, con conflicts, and plots, and twists, and characters, and motivations, they don't tell you how to get an agent. Or if they do give you advice on how to get an agent, they don't tell you how to fire an agent when you have to. And that is also very important. No, too much. Uh, too much about saving the cat. Not enough about what to look for in your contract. Or what to, what kind of kitty litter to buy. I guess it's not. <laughs> is that a metaphor? Is the kitty well, litter metaphorical? Yeah. Well, saving the cat right. is the writing, but you know, going through all it's all it's all the boring it's all the boring shit nobody wants to think about. Yeah. But we are dealing not with, boring. We are interested. Dealing, dealing with the poop is the is the the stuff we discuss. Exactly. So. So it was more an analogy than a metaphor. You know, I really have not missed you. <laughs> like, this? Not? Not missed you. I was just trying to clarify. Mm -hmm. I wasn't criticizing. Mm -hmm. It was good. It was good. I'm the one who was slow to get it, so it's my fault. Okay. That okay. was actually a really smooth improv that you did just then, and I ruined it by dissecting it and picking it apart, and I apologize. <laughs> I, I'm trying to grow as a person and admit when that's stuff like that is my fault. That was my fault. It was good. It is the kitty litter. The kitty litter was a good analogy. Thank you. I think we should rename the podcast the Kitty Litter Podcast. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not? We will right. get cat people. And I don't mind cat people, but if you <laughs> tell cat people that there's something involving a cat and it's not involving a cat... You got a lot of pissed off cat a people. A lot of pissed off cat people. You got to... If there are cat people here, which would be delightful... Um, 
we're not going to lie and say there's cats involved because there's not. Look, no, I'm not, kids are asleep. I'm not saying anything bad about cats. My point is, if someone said we had cats involved with our podcast. I love how five minutes into our episode, our first episode back, we're having to clarify that we are not cat talking haters. shit on cat people. <laughs> or cat haters. <laughs> we're not cat haters. Oh, my God. Or cat people haters. Preemie. That's inappropriate. Stop. No, no puns. Cat Wallace. Mm-hmm. Preemie's calling me Cat Wallace. Oh, That boy. can be my jazz name. Ah, okay. So, with my, it's... With my smoky jazz voice, that can be my jazz name. No Christian writing. No. No. I'm... I'm... <clears throat> Mighty Purr. I love it. I will kill you if you say that. We could be a jazz duo. Cat Wallace and Mighty Purr. Could be like Duke Silver. It's clear I need to have a lot of buttons up for the no emoji and the um why did I pressure Matt to restart this podcast emoji, <laughs> which we don't have yet, but I'm pretty sure Numbers Ninja will make me one. This using really my okay. <laughs> Numbers Ninja yeah. does not like me using the mod emote for evil, and uh they consider evil being um me reacting to puns no i mean that's everybody's prerogative yeah or 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 pun prerogative damn it oh oh my god again yeah well i'm screwing up that's the thing all right so (laughs) how is everybody doing how is you doing matt how is you doing you know, it's it's a crazy uh, ramshackle world out there, Mer, and it hasn't debated at all since uh, since we've been on hiatus. Really? If anything, it's only gotten worse. Right? Really? So you've got a that's sad. It's got so it's gotten worse, but you're still willing to come back to us. No, I mean this is this is one of the things that's good, you know. Yes, it is good. It is a good. We have thing. Our, fr- our friendship. We have an altruistic goal of trying to like you know educate people through our experiences about this minefield of a business that is freelance writing. Mm-hmm. We've got our people, our people in the in the chat here, our listeners. You know, this is one of the things that's worth uh, salvaging. Yes, so. you are correct. So I'm happy about that. But everything else is fucked. <laughs> so, I mean, in, you know, in a general global context, mm-hmm. like personal, personally, professionally, Everything's going fairly well. Good. For, for me right now. I want to make that clear. Like, That's great. That's everybody's great. healthy. No one in the family has gotten the COVID yet. Actually, I'm sorry. That's not true. My my uh, wife's sister and brother-in-law did get the COVID, but they're both okay. Good. Um, and, uh, you know, rolling on, getting to getting to write creatively every day. And that's the, that's the dream, right? That's that the, dream. the dream. And once you realize that, there are no bad parts to it whatsoever. It's just all gravy and champagne. Ew. Yeah, that's that's as I said that I was like, no, no, no. In, no. Independently, those things are good, but you don't want you don't want gravy champagne. All right, here we go. Well, I'm sure you can giant, make a champagne giant mat. They have champagne vinegar. Oh, look at me! See if you're listening to this, you you're gonna oh, have no idea what twice. we're talking about. Yay! It's like Matt all the way down. Whoa! It's like Mattception. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's me. Yes, this and is that... Numbers Ninja Art. It arrived this morning. 
I'm delighted with it. I hope Matt is too. I am. I am absolutely blown away. That is, I look so badass in this rendering. And listen, I'm not. I'm not trying to to brag here, but I've had some people draw me before. I've had Howard Taylor draw me. Really? Mercenary Schlock. Yes. I've had. Uh, I've had, as they say, the fan arts. And I have to say, this is by far and away the coolest rendering of me I've ever seen. That's awesome. I can only imagine I'm burying my enemies in here. Oh no, it's because we did with the dish dishes. Yes. that's why I have a numbers. Ninja, it's okay. I just wanted. To, I wanted to show it off more than anything. Don't worry about the the transparency or anything. I'll I'll fix it up to make it appropriate. So, um, yes, art by numbers, ninja. I will stop covering real Matt's face. It's um, okay. But this now you know it's like if you really, if you me. piss me off, then I could just you know, summon Tiny Matt and turn your I, mic off, and then the show is mine. <laughs> and then just talk to Tiny Matt. You have to do Tiny Matt's voice then. So let's hear the voice <laughs> you're going to do for Tiny Matt. No. Now, you have to, now you've backed yourself into a corner and you have to do an impression, Burr. How about that? Hoist it on your own petard. According to you. No, but that really awesome number. Me. Numbers Ninja, thank you for that. That was amazing, sincerely. I uh, I want a t-shirt with that on it. And I'm going to go around everybody pointing out that's me on the t-shirt. I'm going to be do that, that That's easy. I'm going to be I'm going to be obnoxious about it and not even care because that's what. do that. I look like a swollen Johnny Cash, and hmm. I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. So yeah, Mer, I've been uh, <laughs> circling back. Tell, tell us, okay, if there's anybody new here, welcome. Um, my name is Mer Lafferty. That's Matt Wallace. We've been on hiatus for quite some time. This is a Hugo-winning uh, podcast, and we've decided to bring it back. Uh, Matt's been very, very busy doing three writing jobs. I mean, it depends. I, I write full-time for a video game studio, and we are deep into production on the next game, which you're never allowed to talk about. Right. I've probably already said too much, but that's that's <laughs> the problem with being a video game writer, Murr, is you never... The reason there aren't more famous video game writers right now is because you're never allowed to talk about what you're working on. Mm -hmm. Like, it's such a it's such a secret-heavy... That's secret, but you know nobody wants spoilers. Like it's you, you keep everything really tight until you announce things. Are you working on um, the new Dragon Age? No, I'm not working on the new Dragon Age. Can I think you? I can say. I think I can safely say that I am capable of doing it if they would. <laughs> if they would like to reach out to me, I don't um, know why I'm always the one who has to reach out to them. Yeah, you know? yeah, true. They could do some of the work, but yeah, no, that's that's my pitch to Dragon Age. You guys do some of the work. Hit me up. <laughs> It's amazing I have a job. No, so, but I, I, I've been writing full-time for a video game studio for uh, several years now, working on a very exciting project, in addition to doing all of my own books and projects, of which there are many. And uh, I tried to keep all the balls in the air for a while there, but I realized I couldn't, so I started to look at ways to sort of reduce my workload and thus my, my stress and give myself more time to live the life. You know? Yes. Because uh, art should be a support system for life and not the other way around. I know that because I read Stephen King's book. Right. I read half of Stephen King's so book. So I want to say. I kind of skimmed it, honestly. This is the uh, book that Matt was talking about. That's the latest one, yes. That is The Supervillain's Guide to Being a Fat Kid. That yes. is my new middle grade novel uh, that just came out at the end of January. It's awesome. I uh, appreciate that, Murr. Murr gave me a blurb for it because Murr is awesome like that. 
Um, but yeah, I'm exceptionally, exceptionally proud of that book and very excited that it is out there in the world now. Getting a lot of great feedback. That's great. Uh, a lot of... A lot of adults say, I wish I had this when I was a kid. A lot of mm-hmm. kids say, and they're, they're happy they have it now. So that's making, that's the whole reason you do it, Burr. I mean, also the money. In it, yeah. But <laughs> it's the, it's one of the top three reasons you do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've been doing that. I'm a middle grade author now. I have been one for uh, almost a year and a half. Which is um, still baffling to a lot of people. It is. It's not the way you would have seen it going for me if you knew no. me. Prior to this, but it turns out that uh, I have things to say to the kids, and I am capable of not uh, cursing profanely every other sentence. Actually, does your first draft have a whole bunch of profane words in it that you then edit out in second draft? <laughs> it does not. I am um, able to. I am able to put myself in a headspace where I don't. I don't curse at all. That makes sense. I, I I shouldn't have doubted you because you have grown as a person since the last time you were here. And Numbers Ninja was, I believe, four or five. So it's been it's been a long time since you, you thought you were <laughs> you you thought you were censoring yourself. Yes, I thought I was censoring myself. Apparently, I was not at all. You but have, you, but yeah. you, but you and Jim saw the effort, and you respected the effort so we did. much. That you were too polite to tell me, Matt, you're still cursing every other word, please stop. I thought I did tell you, which is when you said, oh God, I thought I was. Yeah, but you didn't tell me till like years later. Years later? It was oh. a while later. It was a while later. Like past when it really mattered anymore. Like Numbers Ninja was pretty much cooked at that point. It didn't matter what I said around them. All right. Uh... Before the record... Numbers Ninja turned out pretty damn great, despite my profanity around them when they were four Absolutely. Years old. So Absolutely. I think it, I think it all worked out for the best. If yeah. anything, they probably learned from me in some way that I'm not <laughs> I really couldn't define if you asked me to define it. But we'll go with that. Yeah. No, but yeah, so it's I know it's it's a trip for people who have known me and read my stuff for a long time. Uh but yeah, I'm really enjoying writing middle grade novels. I, I like it a lot. I like getting to connect with an audience at that age who, you know, I still remember being that age. And I didn't, I didn't really read middle grade books when I was of middle grade age. Cause mm-hmm. I just, there weren't a lot that I found that I could connect with. So I'm just trying to write those books, yeah. you know, which is what this, this last one was definitely about. So, yeah. but, and, and concurrently going back to the theme of all the balls in the air, like I'm still doing, my adult epic fantasy series concurrently with the middle grade books I'm doing now. And we're, we're in deep in edits on Savage Crowns, the third and final uh, Savage Rebellion book, which hopefully, dear God, will be out next year mm-hmm. and put an, end, put an end to this whole thing so I can, I can go back to living my life. Uh, but no, I'm so, but I, again, I'm proud of that too. And that's, that's still going on. So I will still be writing adult books. I just will probably... See if I can't do maybe like one adult book and one middle grade a year mm-hmm. going forward. That's kind of the tentative plan. Yeah. Numbers Ninja would like to say uh, she's not a ham. I know. Did okay. I say? You said she was fully cooked. Oh, right. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's just clever wordplay. <laughs> I'm a, Numbers I'm Ninja, an respect the clever wordplay. I'm an author. I do the words. Mm-hmm. You are the words. We're all, we all fully cook at some point. It wasn't, it's not just you, Numbers Ninja. Yes. Anyway, um, I've been... Many would say I'm overdone. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. It's been good times having you back. Can smell that second Hugo Award just around the corner. <laughs> just around the corner. That's something else you're smelling. Yeah. It's um, ham. It's ham? Ham that we're smelling? Because Numbers Ninja, it was a call Right? Back. No, no, no. I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. I am also a writer. Believe it you, or not. You are a writer, Murray. Um you, you write many things. I've been working on the edits of Station Eternity, and I've been working on uh, the drafting of book two, which is not titled yet. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much me. That and podcasts and editing Escape Pod. Co-editing, I should say. Cause... I, mean, I feel like you're, you're, un, you're, you're playing at speed a little bit there, which is slang for... Not playing as well as you can. I learned that from Ricky J. Doing what? You're like, you're underselling. You're like, oh, oh I, I write, I do some podcasts. and like, I don't feel like that really covers the grandiose empire you have created with your streaming and your podcasts and your your Hall of Fame career in that in that vein. Well, literal, a, literal Hall of Fame career. There, that's a topic for another time. It's not a topic. That's what I'm just saying. Like, you don't, I, this is something I, you know, we've, we've, we have worked on this over the years, where it's like, you gotta, you gotta put it out there more, man. You gotta own it more. You gotta be like, I'm Murr and I do all this awesome shit. All right. I am Murr. I have been nominated for the Hugo, the Nebula, the Philip K. Dick Award. I have won a Hugo Award. I'm in the podcasting hall of motherfucking fame. There you go. And uh, I co-edit a magazine that is a three-time Hugo nominee. Oh, and also, Divi and I have been up for editor before. So that is how awesome I am. I have to go, like, breathe into a bag now. No, that was amazing. And I think you need to you need to play that back for yourself every morning when you get up. I need, I need to. Um... That's the energy you need to go out in the world with every day because, damn it, all those things are true, and you have you have earned that kind of swagger. I think I should just meet when I greet people. That's what I should say, even if even even if they know me. Absolutely, you should put all that on a t-shirt and always wear that t-shirt. Yes. Oh that lord. Would do, that would do the speaking for you. It's been a long time since we've talked, and we're not talking about anything actually relevant here. We'll get there. No, we are. We're setting the stage. Okay. You know, it's okay. been a long time. It's been a long time. We're reintroducing ourselves and what we do, and uh, true, there's, true. No, there's nothing wrong with that. So, and also, we're catching people up on what we've been doing. True. So it's like a twofold purpose. So. You're right. You're right. We've been writing the books. We've been doing the streams. We've been writing the video games. We've been doing what we do, Mer. And while we've been doing what we do, Mer. I'm about to segue. Go for, for it. I'm ready. I'm ready. While we've been doing what we do, Mer, the industries in which we write have been doing their thing as well. It's, it's, it's gone on unabated in the world of publishing and various other enterprises that are, that are writer-driven. Mm-hmm. And boy, have we missed some stuff. We have. There's been all sorts of, of exciting stuff going on. Um can't think of anything right now. No, the, there's the uh, publishing mass exodus, which uh, seemed to all happen at once, even though apparently none of the people involved coordinated this. Yeah, there were there were a few, quite a few editors and support staff who announced they were leaving some very prominent roles in publishing, and I feel like it caused a fair amount of panic, perhaps unwarranted. Uh, I really feel like it, what it should prompt is us to look at the jobs that are being offered in publishing 
and how uh, those jobs are supported by publishing. Well, I'm hoping the publishers panicked because no, the publishers can absolutely. I hope. Yeah, yeah, I always hope publishers are panicking because they deserve it. So yeah, because they that should they... go without saying. Now I feel like what I meant was I think people in general, authors, there was a little bit of panic. Like, oh my god, is the sky falling in the publishing industry? I think you we know, do that it... a lot. We, I mean, we are. We're an erotic. We're an erotic bunch, by and yeah. Much. So we're yeah. very easy. We're very easy to set off, and that was something that that did seem to do it. But I, at the end of the day, it's like the industry is not going anywhere. We should definitely examine the industry and what uh, what and some of the causes that were outlined by some of the people leaving those roles, and make sure that that doesn't happen again, and make sure we're getting quality people, not just uh, in New York. Which leads back to the whole remote position thing we discussed a long time ago, under mm-hmm. other things, and just you know, again, supporting the people that need the support. But I feel like, I feel like when you start to, when you start with the skies falling, a lot of the new, a lot of the important nuance, the important stuff that we actually need to look at gets lost, lost in the, uh, in the tidal wave, as it were. You know, I I, I misheard you for at the at a moment there and I thought you were going to be talking about the new authors and then I thought well even though you didn't say that I think it's important because new authors don't know how the the dirty side of the industry the, well the shit we talk about here on Ditch Diggers um we they they're not going to know that like if, if somebody tells a newcomer that that they don't need an agent and they give them like the seventy five reasons why they're gonna be like oh well that's a good point and then possibly go <laughs> off and try to start a career without an agent and wonder why their friends are talking about their German deals and their French deals and their Chinese deals and their Hollywood deals when they don't have anything because that's a lot harder to do without an agent but uh, also when people panic honestly it's clickbait a lot of the time and mm-hmm. um i saw I, I yeah i'm sorry i'm gonna go on a tangent i saw the stupidest clickbait in the world today the, the title <laughs> was the title was tsa made fun of my uh stream deck stream deck is like the nintendo switch just from valve and steam and oh. uh it it's larger than the switch so and when they told the story it was the TSA person went, is that a Switch? And they said, no, it's a Stream Deck from Valve. It's new. And she's like, it's too big. That was the TSA making fun of this writer. It's too big. Listen, man, I am always forgiving the TSA shit because I hate them so much. Yes. Uh, but that, that is just, yeah. Yeah, anyway, and I'm that, very sorry. That is, no, but that is, I think, I think the reason that resonates so much is because it's symptomatic of a much broader reoccurring issue with things like that and i think that's how we approach everything now too much these days is with is we're all we're all we're all reacting to the clickbait headline version of events rather than the events themselves i know that i blamed i i saw a headline about feral hogs in california and i immediately blamed preemie and i didn't read that article no that was true that one was absolutely preemie's fault yeah so yeah. that was that was the one instance where the clickbait actually lived up to the to the genuine story. Yes, um, that's not true at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's it it brought to light the fact that being assistant editor is apparently the worst job in the world, um, right? Or you know, close to it with the amount of work that they do. And yeah. one person's uh, public exit letter mentioned that 
you guys don't know technology and you're not trying to learn because you have assistants. And now the assistants, on top of everything else, are required to either do your technology stuff or teach you to do it, which is not in their job description. Mm-hmm. And um, it's... It, it, they were just like, I'm done. I'm done. One person had their one of their recent books hit the New York Times bestseller list, but uh, the the uh, sorry management said, oh no, you won't be ready for a, a promotion for another five years. Right. And yeah, I, I think a lot of this is larger corporations have this structure that require it doesn't require someone to do a good job. It requires you to click the bot. Check the boxes in the, like a mysterious list that you don't know. Right. You know, work for X number of years, or publish X number of books, or or be X or be X thing that you fundamentally yeah. aren't. You yeah. Know. And um, that is how they choose to promote people. And if you're awesome and you work hard, that's not that 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 doesn't get. Uh, Paid enough, so or rather, yeah. and I mean, you know, and like we already enough. knew, pub- we already knew publishing wasn't a meritocracy. But yeah, it's just like highlights how deep that game. It's not, and I mean, when we talk about that, we tend to we tend to focus very much on authors themselves, but that also applies to support staff and editors and assistant editors working within the publishing system as well. Yeah, which is a huge problem. And I mean, I'm God, you highlighted several things there. I don't even know where to start. Um, so you know, like we said at the beginning. Publishing industry isn't the sky's not falling; it's not going anywhere. But talking about you know what that what that assistant editor said about the technology and their unwillingness to learn it, and and placing that burden on support staff at a lower level, like you do start to see cracks in a system that will continue to grow over time as more people get dissatisfied with having to take up the slack of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And then you also see you know what we talk about all the time as authors, which. When we work with even major publishers, we end up having to do many jobs that are not our job, Mm -hmm. you know, or at least I get pissed off about that a lot. You end up having to be your own marketing rep and your own PR person to an extent. You you end up having to do all these things that are really unpaid labor that have nothing to do with writing books that Mm -hmm. you, you, you would expect the publisher to do. And a lot of the times I, and I'll say this for myself, I do it too. I lose sight of the fact that I'm not the only one who's being made or asked to do that. Yeah. Like within the publishing system itself, pu- 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 publicists, assistant editors, editors, they're always being asked to do, you know, five jobs that aren't in their job description. Right. Like it's a, it's an industry wide problem. And that's what I think more than anything ends up placing that burden back on the authors is because the support staff that you're given is stretched so thin, you know, they have so few hours and so free resources that that's why you end up having to do so much more work. Um, then you then really you signed up for it. and you don't realize that it's you end up you know you're only you can only be mad at the people you know like you only know so many people in the process so many people publish it when the problem most of the time isn't the people you know it's the support and the resources those people are not being given by the upper tiers that you're never going to touch as the as the as the lowly author in the process and that I think is a, is really a fundamental root cause of a lot of the a lot of the author complaints and a lot of the author woes that you go through. Yeah, you know, yeah. So really, I'm saying blame the CEOs. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Let's get them on the phone right now. All right, right. I'll what? How many other four now? <laughs> <laughs> also, maybe 
two or three companies shouldn't own every publishing imprint in the world. Yeah, that's a, that's something else we could probably talk about. So I don't think that helps any of the stuff we're talking about. No, it doesn't because then you've got two. When one company absorbs another one, then you've got two red tape bureaucratic nightmares colliding, yeah. and you know you may suddenly have different objectives to your career that you didn't have before because suddenly. When you were Random House, now you're Penguin. Now you're Random Penguin, which is really what they should have called it. And nobody um, wants to be a Random Penguin. No, we want to be specific penguins, y'all. We want to be specific, meaningful penguins. Yes. Um, Starvin has a question. For an author, are there options besides self-publish and suck it up and do all the extra jobs the publishing house should be doing? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you could do both. You could be a hybrid yeah. of those two things. Uh, no, really, I mean, it's, it's just such a difficult question. Well, I think you have to, here's the thing, you have to, you have to start with being willing and able to speak up as an author, I will say that. Because a big problem I do see with authors is they accept what they're given without protest, complaint, or question. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a huge problem. My like, whatever promotion, whatever marketing support, whatever editorial support they're given, they're just like, well, I guess this is all there is. Yeah. I'll just take it. And, I mean, hopefully you have an agent who will monitor this stuff, too, and be like, no, wait, we should probably be getting more support in these areas. But yeah. Even then, agents, you know, that can be an issue with agents, too, you know, and then agents only have so much uh, stroke themselves. But you have to be willing as an author to push back against the lack of the lack of support you're getting and at the bare minimum like get everything they're willing to give you or that or that you can you know that you can argue out of them yeah you know and that's that's one that's one of the very few things you control is your response to it you know yeah um also as preemie says if you if, if if they are very excited about your book and or you're a big name author, well, that's the other option, which is they will put <laughs> stuff behind you. They will invest yeah. in your uh, the actual production of your book. Um, and that's I, I mean that's one of the one of the frustrating things. Yeah, when... I, I feel weird talking about this because it still feels like I'm. I'm you know, I try to be honest in my podcast without professionally killing myself. Um, but I gotta say that, uh, the recent, my most recent, uh, solo book, that wasn't supposed to be a pun of any kind, um, (laughs) my personal IP, um, I'm experiencing a different publisher and I'm in a different place in my career now and I'm watching what's going on with the release of Station Eternity compared to what was going on with the release of my last, uh, personally created my IP book. What the... Why can't I think of a good fucking word for that? My last... If you're you're new, my last two books were other IP. They were Star Wars and Minecraft. So I'm talking about the book before that. Um, And it's just... It's very different. It's very different what they're putting into... What they're believing this book could do. Right. Compared to what they believed the other book could do. And... um, yeah, I'm not still bitter. You know, I hold no, grudges. I mean, One thing I realize as I get older, I'm holding a lot of grudges. And I'm suddenly like, there, it's hard, I, I have a it's grudge hard. against a company that I left in the last century. <laughs> it's it's very hard not to. Right? Yeah. I, mean, what I, I mean, it's almost like when you work with someone, when you work with a publisher that does support you properly or even half properly, Yeah. 
it really casts a light on how forgotten and cast off you were by publishers you may have worked with previously. Yeah. You know? I don't think there's anything wrong with being angry about that. You can't get mired in that anger. You have to move forward. But Yeah. But you do have to, from the, the positive side of that, you do have to take from that that's like, oh, wait, they actually can promote my book. Mm-hmm. They, they have ways and means. Like, when they want to, yeah. when they're invested, they can absolutely do this. Because the mindset I think you tend to get it is, well, publishers just don't or won't market books ever. And that's not true. And as Premi pointed out, if you're one of their upper 1% authors, they'll can throw the money at you. They'll, they'll buy Kindles and send them to celebrities with your book on it, you know, to get them, to get them into it. There, there, there are any number of resources that they have. It's just they allocate them very selectively. And, you know, you do have to, you do have to understand your place in the hierarchy of things because you can't go to your publisher and say, well, you know, you gave this author who sold 40 million books this, you know, and I should get the same thing because yeah. they're going to laugh you out of the room. But I do think, you, I do think there is a, uh, a fair way to distribute resources and an argument to be made for, hey, I'm a new author. You guys have invested this much into me. I don't feel like the resources being put into marketing the book to match the investment you've already made. Like, what can we do here? You know, there's, there's a conversation to be had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christian Writing says, is there a way to gauge how su how much support you'll get from a publisher before you sign the contract? And Premie says, the advance is a pretty good gauge. Um, that makes a lot of sense. My, my first advance was what I understand as fairly good for uh, beginning writers. Um, those two books did not perform the way the uh, publisher wanted them to, so my third advance was smaller by a third. Um, and then that was the book that did well. And so my next deal was better. So, um, this next deal being better, if, you know, if they didn't believe in the book at all at the last publisher and it did really well, um, you know, they, they're, I mean, if they didn't believe in the book, they weren't going to put a lot of money behind it and they didn't. So right. that's what... So it's it 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 is interesting. Thank you, Premi, because I wouldn't have thought of that. The advance implies how much they're how how well they believe you're going to do, and how much they're willing to put behind you. You know, it's your your advance is an investment for them. Yeah. No, that is absolutely a good gauge. Um, the other thing that occurred to me while that was going on, though, and this is just through personal experience and knowing other people, is it's there's there's a lot that there's a lot past that too when you get into the internal politics of a publisher. And sometimes the editor that you're working with makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Actually, not a lot of times. That's I think that's actually fundamental and, a lot, and something that gets overlooked a lot. Um, within the publisher, the editor, your editor, who your editor is, makes a huge difference to the resources that are going to be allocated to your book because your editor really ends up being your advocate within that publisher. So if you get, say, an editor who isn't that invested in your book, that's going to affect it. If you're working with an editor who loves your book and believes in it a lot, but is very low on the hierarchy of editors and at that publisher, and is, it doesn't have the position to, to, get, to go after and get the resources for you, that's going to have an effect. If, you know, position isn't the problem, but they're not as aggressive as maybe they need to be, that can have a huge effect. 
it's there's a there's a lot more that goes into it than than you realize when you get into this and it took some really bad experiences for me to kind of get that you know because you know we i my agent and i we took a book out and we had a lot of offers for it and i ended up making a decision based on the editor because they were an editor i wanted to work with they were a senior editor at this publisher that had a really good track record and i felt like i was gonna i was gonna i had an editor i had someone who was going to be able to advocate for me within that structure and you know get me the things that we needed to make the book a success you know a year into that process uh we were looking really good as the release loomed in the in the distance you, you heard words like lead title and there were all these plans in the works for promoting it and then suddenly my editor gets fired inexplicably one day and <laughs> all that shit that was being talked about before out evaporated man none of that none of that crap happened um, yeah, that's that's definitely something you have absolutely no control over. Yeah, um, you, you don't. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, like I, what, yeah, I going back, I would have made the same decision I made based yeah. on the information I had at the time. You know. Yeah, I had um, something similar uh, in my beginning when we had more than one offer. I made my choice based on two things. Um, one was basket accounting, and one was who the editor was, and um, then. My editor also got laid off, and mm -hmm. but I am happy with who I'm working with. Um, she's very she she, she uh, thinks she's doing a really good job on the editing part, and then she's doing a good job on the advocate advocating for me part. Entirely. Yeah, those are those are two completely separate skill sets and two different things too. You know, it's like yeah, you can you can get you have editors who are really good at their jobs, but not necessarily the strongest voices for your book at, at a publisher. <laughs> And I mean, it's it's messed up that it has to, I want to say, like, point blank, it's messed up it has to be that way. Yes. Like, I'm sorry any editor has to, like, fight and scrabble and go to war internally just to get you the basic, you know, materials and things you need to promote your book. I don't think it should be that way. But it very, very often, with few exceptions, is. That's just how things work. You yeah. Know? There's, only, there's only so many resources, only so much they're going to give, and it's it's always a squeaky wheel kind of thing. So. Uh, Kay Kibby wants me to explain basket accounting. Um, yes, please do. Uh, basket accounting is a tricky little thing that publishers have started to do, which is, um, let's say I get a $90,000 three-book deal. So that's really 30000 per book. My first book comes out, it does okay, and makes me 15000 toward my advance back. My second book comes out and is a huge hit. Not a huge, huge hit, but it's a hit. And it makes like 40000 Now, with basket accounting, I, have, I don't get any checks yet because I have not made $90,000 back for my advance. Without basket accounting, I would make $10,000 because my second book with the $30,000 advance earned out. So it's whether... All the sales of all the books count towards the one advance, or if you treat each book as having the same advance, but you make money faster. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, if you earn out, it's all the same thing. But I think it matters a lot more to an individual writer than it does one of the four goddamn biggest, <laughs> the, the, all the huge publisher people. So that's basket accounting. One publisher would not bend on that, and one would. And so I 
liked the author, I liked the editor, and I liked the fact that they negotiated with me over that, so that's what I chose. Um, yeah, it's hard to, oh, good. Thank you, Kids Are Asleep. A good thread on accounting is publishing from Sam Morgan. Sam's an awesome guy. Um, we had him on a Ditch Diggers Live several years ago. Uh, he did, good, yes. Good guy, good agent. Um, so, yeah. Speaking of the... Are, are we done with how terrible publishing is inside? <laughs> oh, wait, no, no. I did have one other point. I did have one other point. So, I'm going to make um, another point there. I think a lot of times people see, like, Ace bought my book. Ace bought my trilogy. Ace is this. Yes, it's under... I don't remember which one it is. I've, I've got books with, like, a lot of different places. Leave me alone. Um, is it Macmillan? I think it's Penguin Random House. Penguin Random House? I think. It's Random Penguin. Anyway, but that's not the point. Random Penguin. The point is that... Um, People see that as, you know, there's this one entity that I sold my book to, but that's not the case because your editor will buy the book, will acquire the book, will work on the book, and then they have to take the, or if they want the book, they still have to tell sales and marketing that it's worth it. So you could have someone in completely on your side, but then they have a marketing meeting and they're like, ah, mm -hmm. we don't like the sound of that. We don't know how to sell it. And so the editor has to come back to you and say, sorry. And then, so it's like you sell it to the editor, but then the editor has to sell it within the company. You know, the yeah. art director is somebody else that they need to sell it to to see if your book is worth whatever budget that they would want to put on the book to hire an artist. So you got to have sales and marketing believe in you. You got to have publishing publicists believe in you. And um, so, just having an awesome editor on your side may not be enough. And that's that's a annoying thing. It is, but, but it's absolutely. But you know, that's it's. I'm I'm really glad you bring it up because it's a part of the process we don't ever really you don't ever really hear about. You hear about you send a book to an editor, an editor likes it, an editor buys it. Yeah, you, you get you get this perception of editors as kind of godlike figures within within the industry and within the process, which really it's not. It's just that the editor is the only person generally you're ever going to deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't go to what is called the acquisitions meeting with the editor, yeah. which is where your book lives and dies. And yeah, I, I, just as you were saying that, I was thinking about every, like, I have it like my, my middle grade editor is, is a great, is a great guy. He's a senior editor at the, at the publisher, believes in my stuff very much, but he is, he has been limited several times for what he could do for me by going to acquisitions and talking to the marketing and the sales department. And, you know, it's like if I wanted, I wanted, you know, a better advance on the next contract or whatever. My editor could be like, yeah, man, I want to give you all the money in the world. I think you're totally worth it. He goes to sales and marketing and they say, well, based on the track record so far, we don't feel comfortable doing that. So no more money for him. You know, which is totally fair. But point being, like, he's not the end all be all in the process. There are tons of other people that he's going to have to answer to. And you do have to think, you do have to remember that when you, when you go into this, so. Yeah. And again, you you never hear about that part of the process because we just we we mythologize so much as authors as an industry. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, Matt, we are at one <clears throat> hour. We wanted to talk about one other thing. Do we want to try to hit that? Uh, I think maybe we we, <laughs> we may have to make we may have to make the return a two part affair, Mer. Okay. Because I think we need to leave room for for the rest of the things we wanted to catch up on for while we've been away. But yeah. For for better or for worse, we are limited to an hour because of uh, Matt's pre previously mentioned day job. So um, 
we will be here. We're going to be doing twice a month with Matt, the first and third month. Uh, no, first and third Monday of the month, we'll have Matt Wallace as the uh, co-host. And then um, Ursula Vernon, Cameron Hurley, Alistair Stewart, possibly Chuck Wendig will be filling in on the other dates as uh, guest hosts. So Yay. I am just really glad we are back. Blockbuster names right there. Is yes. that an all-star lineup or is that an all-star lineup? It's an all-star lineup, dude. I don't even know why I came back. I feel like you're good, honestly. You really need me. I need you. Chuck and Ursula. That's all That's all people ask for. When's Matt coming back? When's Matt coming oh, back? Oh, yes. I doubt that very highly, but thank you. No, I am happy to be back. Yes, yeah, so I will, for the time being, you know, we'll see how things uh, go. But for yes, for now, I will be, uh, I will be back twice a month, and then uh, we're going to have some really thrilling... Uh, hosts filling in for me when I'm not here, and I'm very excited about the whole process. So, yeah, we streamlined this thing for all of you so that you've got weekly Ditch Diggers content, and I will be involved with it going forward. And we are back. We yes, are back. We are back. Um, if you want to find out more about me, merverse.com is the place. Um, I'm on Twitch. I also stream my other show. I should be writing Tuesdays and Thursdays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And that's um, twitch.tv slash mightymer. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email me, mightymer at gmail.com. And uh, make sure you put ditch diggers in the subject because I need to know which show you're asking for feedback. Matt, shill your stuff. Yes, you can find me on the Twitters primarily, uh, Matt F.N. Wallace. Uh, you can go to my website for information on all my books and all the things that I do. It's matt-wallace.com. And, uh, yeah, the newest book I have out is The Supervillain's Guide to Being a Fat Kid. It's a middle-grade novel, ages uh, 8 to 12. I'm very proud of it. My other middle-grade novel you can go and pick up while you're in the mood is called Bump. Uh, it's about a uh, young girl uh, dealing with grief, going through the discovering the pro wrestling industry. It's very much about my childhood coming up in the pro wrestling industry. So check those things out. And also the Savage Rebellion series, uh, the first two books, Savage Legion and Savage uh, Bounty are out now, and... The third and final book in the trilogy is scheduled for next year. You can support us at patreon.com slash mighty Ditch diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com.